first episode in the series of podcasts that are talking about care homes and care homes for older people uh, in particular. With me today is Drew Rice, the producer of these podcasts, and of course, myself, the host, Gabriella Wills. Hello, Gabriella, and hello, everyone. Hi, Drew. So nice to actually start this. And as we agreed, it would be best to start with an overview uh, of care homes because most people um, don't have anything to do with a care home uh, until such time in life when it becomes something that is needed either for themselves or for a relative. And most people will probably get whatever they know about care homes from the media. Uh, and that has not always um, been the kindest, uh, telling the news aspect. Hopefully, as we go along, uh, we will relate to those issues as well, but maybe give a more rounded view of what a care home is, which includes a lot of very positive things for a lot of people who live in them. There are just under half a million people living in care homes, so it concerns a considerable number of people and their relatives who hopefully will find what we talk about useful and interesting. Well, at this point, Gabriella, I think it would be useful for you to define exactly what a care home is and what its functions are. I could start by saying that a care home is what it says on the tin. It's a place where people live and receive care and support. It's uh, an all-inclusive system where it is the accommodation, the food, activities of daily living, etc., etc. We can talk uh, in, in, later in the series about exactly what that uh, may mean. But a person will go into a care home primarily because they have some support needs that can be because of frailty, because of ill health, because of social factors, but they will go in because they need that support. What I would like to emphasize and encourage people to remember is that it is very much also the person's home. Think of a place where they or their relative, if they need the support that cannot provided, be provided elsewhere, need to move into that they can see a place where they can feel at home, where they can be themselves and feel comfortable with themselves. It's not like living in your own home because it's you're sharing a lot, although you'll have your own room. And uh, for a number of years in England, shared rooms are only for couples. There is no more uh, this, the scenario of strangers sharing a room. So people will have their own private space but a lot of communal uh, areas uh, will have to be shared. And that's something that is not an easy transition for somebody who lived in their own independent home. I can see that it might be a difficult transition to make from a private home into a shared home, but there must be some benefits. If you've been living at home, maybe alone for a while, then moving into a shared facility could be good for your mental health as well as your physical health. 
you're surrounded by new friends, maybe some old, but new people to talk to and to share your life experiences with. Absolutely. You know, living is more than just existing. And um, being helped with the what we call the activities of daily living, getting up and getting showered, going to the toilet, uh, moving about, eating. These are the basics. This is existing. This is so we, you know, we're kept warm and, and alive. But what for? Why get up in the morning? It is to feel maybe fulfilled in some other ways. And if not fulfilled, occupied, engaged. We human uh, are sociable uh, creatures. Uh, most people, not all, but most people would like some interaction with others. And this goes with the staff who are there to provide a physical, you know, uh, interaction. Maybe they give you a medication, but they talk to you at the same time. They relate to you. They know who you are. They know about your relatives. So all these interactions are really, really important. The last one just to say in this kind of introduction is that care homes slot into a much bigger scheme of health and social care. And although it will be suitable or needed for only a fraction of people, it is essential for them because other options may not be suitable for them for all sorts of reasons, whether it's what the care that they need, maybe financially, maybe geographically, it's not there where they live but also because the system, the health and social care system depends on this to keep things moving. And in the news in the last year, two, three, we heard about blocked beds. It's a very negative term. I personally, I don't like it. I use it because this is what people would hear about. And sometimes this happens because somebody is in hospital their hospital acute care is now completed. They're ready to be discharged, but they can't go back to where they lived before in their own home. Again, all sorts of reasons. They have to move elsewhere. And this is often a care home. And if that isn't there for them, then they can't be discharged. And that means that new people who come in can't get the bed. And then you have people in distress, you have ambulances waiting and not being able to, to go to new calls because they can't move people around from emergency rooms, etc. So it is so important that that piece of the chain of the puzzle, that it is maintained in a good situation so that it can fulfill its function and keep everybody safe well and really living as good a life as can be considering the situation that they're in. Well, my first question, Gabriella, is when a person is forced to or wants to make the decision to move to a care home, what are their options? This is such an important question, Drew. There is a drive, and it has been around for a number of years, to keep people in their homes, whatever that situation is, for as long as possible. I don't think that either of us know people 
who say, when I grow old, when I need more support, I would love to go into a care home. Most people feel uh, much more secure to know that they will be able to continue to live in their own home, wherever that is. So that is the first uh, important point that I wanted to mention. The second one is the use of the word care. And I know that a lot of people feel ambivalence about that because not ever it feels to people somebody else has to care for me. And actually, some of the things are support. So somebody is still able to do a lot of for themselves and all they need is for somebody else to help them get there, to keep their independence again at the level that is possible. So coming back to what you've asked, I think the first level is what people refer to as daycare, day centers, where people go into uh, an establishment for parts of the day, can be every day or it could be a few times a week, uh, where they spend time with others. A lot of it can be recreational, but some places like that will also offer meals, maybe some personal care, maybe a person has difficulties of showering or bathing in their own home and there is a facility for them to have a nice bath, change of clothes and all that. So that can, you know, some centers like that can offer. Sometimes these places will collect the person uh, from home. Uh, some will be with a spouse or a carer and others will be just on their own. And it will be from people who go there just because really they need the social interaction. And for others, it is more than that. Uh, I must say that during uh, the pandemic, my experience was that for people with dementia, because these centers were closed, for obvious reasons, the group of people, which includes the person living with dementia and whoever their main carer is, normally a spouse, maybe a, a, a child or sometimes a sibling, the person living with them, both really, really felt the impact of not having that service. It is, It has proven by the lack of it what a lifeline it is for those people to be separated, for the carer to have some time with themselves and for the person with dementia to be engaged in activities with others that really help them to live with the conditions. So it is definitely not just for people with dementia, like you mentioned, people who may be on their own and lonely and this is a social gathering. Another option for people who want and can remain in their own home, whether they live on their own or with a spouse, is home care, domiciliary care. Again, has come into the media recently because of lack of staff, and that is a problem. But hopefully it will recover. Uh, it is such an important service. There are the, the people who care for people in their own homes are very special. They take it very seriously. They're trained. They will go into someone's home sometimes maybe three times a day for 15 or 20 minutes to give medication, to provide a meal, to go shopping, sometimes for a much longer period of time to provide the person with the activities of daily living, i.e. getting dressed, getting up, 
etc. And there are people who may have a service for 24-7, somebody living in their home. There may be a point where doing that is either not safe or financially not viable because somebody needs so much care, maybe much more specialist care as well, that it is not viable. But it is an option for many people and it's one to be considered absolutely and definitely. The last one before we go in actually into other aspects of care home, which I wanted to mention, is um, the different names for very similar schemes, whether it's extra care, housing with care, independent living, uh, retirement living and villages, sheltered housing was a term that used to be uh, in circulation. This is basically somebody either renting or buying their own flat or even sometimes a little house within a complex. It can be a, 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 an apartment block or it can be indeed like a, a, a little village. And they live there within a community of people with similar uh, needs. Normally they come in quite independent and then they purchase the, the care that they need as they go along, which is basically domiciliary care, home care. Lots of these places have a team on site, so they can purchase that care as and when it arises from them. The benefits are, and I think the main reasons that people move into a place like that, it's kind of future proofing. They don't want to make a big move when they're very old and possibly frail. So maybe they sell the house, they move into something where they say, now I can stay here. Whatever my care needs are, they can grow in time. Some of such schemes have a care home on site. So if it becomes really needed, then again, it's a smaller move. But in principle, you live independently in your own place and you have the, the social community around you. There are activities a lot of the times as well. Another uh, benefit uh, of living in such a, a setting is that the people who live there themselves and maybe their relatives who live off-site know that should they need assistance, maybe they had a fall, maybe they uh, are not feeling very well at night, uh, usually there is the possibility of contacting somebody either on site or sometimes th due, uh, through telecare to a helpline, somebody who can either help them with advice, call an ambulance if necessary, and just that, have that extra reassurance should the need arise. And I know that many people moving into these settings take a lot of uh, comfort from that knowledge. So again, important to keep that in mind. And these places often have strings that you can pull or something around your neck, like almost like a panic button. Exactly that. But it goes either to somebody on site. So instead of um, you know, calling your son or daughter who live mm. maybe miles away, mm. uh, it is either somebody on site or a professional agency that they will then decide you know, how, to, how best to help you. The very last option that I'm going to mention uh, as an alternative to being a, a full-time resident in a care home is short-term stay. It's often uh, referred to as respite care. So somebody lives in their own home, but they want to, for a variety of reasons, 
they need to go or want to go into a care home for a very defined period of time. It's normally between two to six weeks. Uh, and the reasons for that can be numerous. It can be that somebody needs to recover. They maybe have been in hospital and they lost a bit of mobility or they're not as uh, confident anymore making tea, etc. So they go for convalescence, for kind of recovery. Some places offer more re rehabilitation as well, whether it's a, uh, after, you know, maybe a fall and they need to get their mobility and their strength back. Another reason can be that the person who is the main carer at home either goes on holiday for two weeks or needs a break. I know of people who are the main carer, mainly again for somebody living maybe with dementia and they're sleep deprived because the person with dementia maybe is up at night or they're worried and to have a period of maybe a week or two on their own can help them recharge and of course then the person can go back home and continue and the last one again is uh social uh, i i can think of a number of people who used to come to uh, care homes for special times of the year christmas or other important festivals they might not have any family maybe they don't have any family in this country they don't want to spend the festive period on their own and they come into a care home again they sh they're not people who can just go into a hotel so of course they have some uh, needs for support but they're not ready for they don't need too much but they just want again to be with other people and that is something that again is an option and for people with the right i would say criteria local authority may fund those periods and it's always worthwhile checking in and seeing within your local authority what is available for for that type of as i said respite uh, or short-term stay in a care home well our series gabriella is about care homes for the elderly but just just can we touch on what options there are for those that need care but aren't coming towards the end of their lives there are homes for other people. Um, there are children, of course, which again, completely a whole other uh, group. And then within adults, which is from 18 onwards, there is a distinction between adults and older people. And older people, care homes for older people, are usually aimed for people who are 65 and above. There can be people who are slightly younger. Uh, and most people, I would say, are really much, much older. Um, in my experience, the homes that I've been working, really we're talking about 80 to 100 plus. Within uh, homes for older people, there are two main categories. One is known as homes with nursing, nursing care, and the others are non-nursing, often um, related to as residential. So what is the main difference? We'll start with the residential or the non-nursing. They provide, as I mentioned before, all the accommodation and food and recreational, etc. But the support and care that is provided is done by carers. Carers are people who've been trained to provide this, the care in a safe 
way and the skills that they need in order to do that, whether it's just general care or dementia or, um, of course, end-of-life care, etc. But they're not medically trained. They're not nurses. Somebody living in a non-nursing home may be very frail. They may need help with absolutely everything, including mobility and wheelchair and unable to go to the toilet and needing uh, incontinence care. All of that can be done within a uh, non-nursing care home. So why do we need nursing homes? Nursing homes are those where we uh, have nurses at all times, 24-7. And the difference is that on top of everything that is in a non-nursing home, including the carers who provide the day-to-day care, there will be a nurse who will look after the person's more medical health needs. The distinction really is that somebody who needs the monitoring or the intervention of a nurse to the extent that cannot be provided by the community resources will need to be in a nursing home. And I will try and illustrate that uh, with an example. So let's say there is somebody with diabetes who needs to have their blood tests twice a day or once a day or occasionally. Maybe they have insulin injections, uh, which they may or may not be able to give themselves. And they may have other needs, and that's why they are in a care home. They don't need to be in a nursing home because the diabetes itself can be managed by the team there who will know how to help them. Uh, And if need be, a community nurse may come and maybe give the the injection once or twice a day. And then you may have somebody with diabetes whose condition is not settled. it, It needs constant management. They may go into a high or low um levels uh, of blood sugars very quickly and of course the consequences either way are are very uh, serious so they need to be monitored by more skilled staff and maybe they need insulin much more frequently so maybe three or four times a day and the community service cannot manage that and it's not they can't always come on time so that person maybe everything else is the same as the person who is in the non-nursing home but for them being an environment where where there are nurses on hand who can monitor and see whether they're going down can take the blood test can give the injections keeps them safe these are really the two main categories um, that exist again both with 24 7 staff but different skills etc quite a few homes have both nursing and non-nursing which not all but in general out of the many, about 17,000 care homes in the UK, only about a quarter provide nursing as well. Somebody who may be in a non-nursing home maybe deteriorates to the extent that that home cannot look after them safely anymore. They may need to then move into a home that can provide the right care for their own safety and also for the staff. They are not 
able to look after somebody whose needs exceed their, their skills. It's important to mention that people with dementia, mental health uh, and other can be nursing or non-nursing. These can, again, it depends on the totality of needs of that person and what skills are needed in order to keep them as well as possible and, 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 and as safe as possible. Just to mention other types, and it will be more prominent for people when they start looking into a care home, and we will guide uh, that in one of our next episodes, is that there are homes that specialize not in terms of the care, but maybe the culture. So there may be faith-based homes. Uh, There may be homes with a more ethnic group and people feel more comfortable being with people where the majority is of the same culture as they are. For some people it is not important, for others it is. Uh, Drew, I think uh, we covered a lot today and um, I wouldn't want to carry on for much longer. I think it's important to keep things concise uh, because there is a lot to digest. But I feel that for this first episode, it is very important to mention two bodies that people will come across and need to be aware of in their quest or in their uh, for care homes. The first one is their local authority. So, for example, I don't know, the local authority, borough of, I don't know, Camden or wherever people live. Uh, first of all, there is a lot of resources. Uh, there are social workers, there are people who can guide Uh, But the local authority also has um, legislative obligation to ensure that people's uh, care needs, if they qualify uh, in terms of as, as eligible, are met. Now, local authorities on by large don't own care homes. They will purchase care from providers in the area or outside the area. And they also have an obligation to offer an assessment to people. And I mentioned before, is it a nursing home? Is it other? Does somebody have needs that actually qualifies them for funding? Uh, All of that sort of thing. So it is very important as a first step to get in touch with the local authority, ask for an assessment and then see. And of course, the local authority for the homes or for the care that they purchase for people, they also then become a monitoring body because they have a contract with a provider and they will have visits to make sure that what they pay for is provided, that the person is safe, etc. A slightly wider remit sits with the Care Quality Commission, often referred to as CQC. The Care Quality Commission is a a non-departmental public body which uh, oversees all health and social care um, bodies. That's hospitals, ambulances, GPs, dentists, and of course care homes and domiciliary care agencies. And the CQC monitors the services, they register the service, and the manager of a service. Every care home needs to have a registered manager registered with CQC. 
So like Ofsted for schools, uh, who will inspect schools and rate them, uh, the CQC does the same for care homes as well as other services. And their um, inspections rely on uh, a number of standards, which they then divide into five main areas, which are, is the service safe? Is it caring? Is it effective? Is it responsive? And is it well-led? And based on their findings, they, they visit, they spend a lot of time, they talk to residents and relatives and staff and, and look at documents. And they will then issue a rating, which can be outstanding, probably given to about 5% of care homes. Good, which means it meets uh, the requirements requires improvement or inadequate. Nobody wants to be in the bottom two, uh, but I had experience of homes that were good, uh, but in the inspection there were things that required improvement and therefore they were rated as such and homes will be given a set time to uh, achieve those improvements. And this is really important for people when looking for a home. Again, it's a great source of information to look for the reports. You can read all the reports of a home online. I would always suggest to look beyond the report and actually make your own judgments as well, but take the report into account. And since CQC came into, uh, into being, I have seen the sector actually improving because they were providers that were not up to standards. And this is not something that anyone in care wants to see. We want to know that people are safe, that they're well, and that they live a good life. And I think the CQC did a great service in rooting out providers that just didn't meet the minimum standards or the standards expected. And I thought it was very important for people to understand that care homes are monitored very closely and the CQC has the powers of sanctions for homes that do not perform. Very interesting, Gabriella. We've now come to the end of our first episode and I've learned that there is choice. There are options. You don't have to wait until you have no choice. You can think about these options early and find the right home for yourself. Finally, what are we talking about in our next episode? We will start with exactly the point that you refer to, which is when should somebody look, start looking? Do we wait until it's necessary or can people prepare in some way, even when they don't think that that will be their first choice? We could look at how do I start to choose? Okay, I can't choose whether it's a nursing home or other, but what other elements will be important and who should be involved in that process and who else can help? We may touch on funding, but uh, I think it is such a big subject that we will delve more into that in our third episode and bring some specialist guests to work through because it really is complex and changing. 
And before we say goodbye, Gabriella, I want to mention the first two of our resources that we'll make available at the end of every episode during the series. The first is the Care Quality Commission, cqc.org.uk. They're the independent regulators of health and adult social care in England. And the second is myhomelife.org.uk. My Home Life works to promote positive practice and improve the quality of life for those living, visiting and working in care homes and other care settings. See you next time. Bye for now.